This is the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Quick Bites. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite Quick Bite. This is Home Booth Month. This week, we're uh, replying to a letter that uh, Robbo got. Yeah. We, well, we actually, we all got it. It came in on the website. Um, it's from a guy called Brent May, who I'm presuming is in Melbourne, because like you at the moment, AP, he's locked down. Um, ah, yes. We'll, we'll get to his question in a minute, but I, I thought the first part of his letter to us was really cool because it starts. He's, he starts off by saying, I'm absolutely nothing to do with the audio industry, which made me stop and go, huh? <laughs> um, but I found your... <laughs> He's going to sell us something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I found your yes. podcast while looking for reviews of the Roadcaster Pro, and I've since listened to every episode. Some of what you guys talk about goes way mm. over my head and yet I tune in every week. The content never disappoints. So that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, the, the, the thing that's the, that he wrote to us that inspired this conversation was, uh, not sure if it's ever been covered, but has anyone found out from Rode if they plan on releasing an AI2 to go up against the 2i2? or even something to go up against a Zoom MP4. I'd love something as versatile as a P4 or a 2i2, but with the build quality of a Rode product, always been a massive fan of Rode's video mics. My Video Mic Pro Plus is my go-to for all my video work and would love to keep my products within the Rode family. So, uh, okay, well, he's, he's tangentially related to audio. He's a video guy. Yeah. But can I just mention that I, I did actually send an email to Rode and I got a reply from Nick Leonard. Mm-hmm. And Nick said, Hey, mate, unfortunately, I can't give out any info on possible product releases. Sorry. I mean, some cool stuff's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. you, but I would have to kill you. <laughs> yeah, he said, My lips are sealed. I'm sure. I mean, now that they've got the intellectual property, the design, the circuit design, and the massive sales numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 of course. Something. I mean, the AI one is just their first audio interface and then and their and the Procaster. And the Procaster is a very specific kind of interface, but the market is just on fire even after COVID. Yeah. I mean, there's a point in the middle of COVID where everything was sold out. You couldn't get your hands on a personas or a focus right. And so they would be foolish not to expand that product line. Yeah. So here's the question for this week's episode, though. Go ahead. Is given the conversation we had a few weeks ago about expectations in the booth and being able to replay audio and stuff like that, should we, well, should voiceover artists in particular be looking at a mixer or just an interface then? I I think that, first of all, when you look at the universal audio uh, interface, it is a mixer. That's what that crazy console app is. It's a, it's a mixer. It's just in. It's a mixer inside the computer. But um, the better interfaces, as they get more flexible, they have some sort of mixer built into them that have um, the capabilities of being able to handle your different monitoring needs. They might have a loopback function in them. Um, so these are the RME interfaces, the uh, audience interfaces. Antelope, Universal actually. Audio, Antelope, all the better interfaces, and even even all the Focusrite ones, they have some sort of mixer built into them. Because if not, basically what you're left with is just like a little analog low latency monitor. And so if that's all you need is just your microphone and you need to monitor yourself, that's great. But as you more and more start to work with remote situations, I've got clients on whatever it might be, Google Hangouts or Source Connect or something else, these interfaces that have some sort of mixing capability in them help because if not, you're going over to a DAW 
and some other application that still has a mixer in it to handle your monitoring needs. Mm. Would you use, uh, if we're talking about what Robert's talking about then, would you, would you say that a, a roadcaster would do that for someone? It, the roadcaster is great, except it goes into the category of overkill. And one of the things that bothers me about Roadcaster Pro for a voice actor is it actually takes a few steps to not use processing. Um, it tends to just have processing on. <laughs> so you have to like know how to go in there and turn all that stuff off. And so for that reason, I don't think it's ideal for a voiceover situation. But once you know how to use it, learn how to use it and set it up correctly, it's, it's great. And it can do everything you would ever need and more, obviously. It's far I, more capable. It, it I, I just wish they would make something that's halfway between the AI-1 and the Roadcaster Pro. I want to, I want those to make a baby mm-hmm. and make it like <laughs> the AI two pro or something and maybe have some basic processing or maybe like the loopback feature or, you know, have a few more bells and whistles, but still be something compact that's portable and, and not super complicated. So I'm hoping there's some stuff in the road skunk works that uh, oh. is in that vein, but I, there's so much potential you know, in terms of what they've already developed and what could come, you know, it's just, it's the Roadcaster Pro has been out two years and a few months, right? They're still pushing new firmware updates that give it all new features Mm -hmm. two years later for free. Yeah. No additional costs. There's this, this concept of um, an interface that has software in it. Um, You know, look at, look at what Apogee just pushed out recently with their, you know, it's like a touchscreen interface built into the, the uh, interface with processing on it. I think it has a lot to do with what do you need. Um, if you're just in a booth and you don't have any external speakers, your needs are fewer. If you don't right. have any external sources like Hangouts and all those things, your needs are fewer. But if you have a booth, but you also have a control room situation, there's things that the roadcaster does in particular that are unique to more of a broadcast situation, which is more what the voice talent finds themselves in compared to a traditional music recording situation, which is what most of these interfaces are designed for, the music recording situation. So things like when I mute the mic, it opens up the speakers, but when I open up the mic, it goes back to headphones automatically. These are are broadcast-type features that the roadcaster has. But it's really, really helpful for a voice actor. Exactly. You know, if you have everything in one room, if you're if your control room and booth are the same, like if you're if you're a one room studio, that's really, really helpful. It it's just it's just a workflow thing, but it's so nice to just have the monitor speakers cut off and you never have to worry about feedback, feedback or loops and stuff. Right. And the monitoring is so much simpler and easier to understand, you know, on a Roadcaster Pro than it is on an Apollo. Like the one the thing Apollo that is like so flexible, customers, but it, it blows yeah. everybody's brain trying to figure yeah. out the Apollo. And most people who own an yeah. Apollo are scared of their own interface. Yes, and <laughs> I set up a lot of them, and I actually get people to return them on a, on the regular. Actually, <laughs> like I just got this. I'm like, why? You know, and they're like, it's oh, too much. Maybe I shouldn't. So you, you can know, do it, a ton with it, but you got to know what you want to do, and you got to have a reason yeah. to actually want all that because it's a little bit too yeah. much. The monitoring side of it is is perplexing. Um, the 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 RME is also perplexing, mm-hmm. but in some Total ways mix. it's better. You know, so it's they all have their own nuances. But um, yeah, I, I I think most voice actors still don't need anything resembling a mixer at all. But 
some will find the additional flexibility for what they're doing really, really helpful. The classic situation going back to the days of ISDN and just when this was all, you used to have voice actors that didn't have a computer. They just had a Mackie, say, 1202, their ISDN, their phone patch, and their mic pre in there. And but a DAT, you, maybe. And a DAT machine or some, some sort of USB yeah, yeah. recorder if they were a little bit more modern. And yeah. But you still ended up with the same situation with a lot of these voice actors, which was someone came in, like George, set this mixer up, and now the voice actors are like, for, for instance, uh, what would happen to me often is they would have this mixer set up with everything, and now they are introducing their laptop into their mixer. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to need an auxiliary send. Can you plug a cable in here? And they're like, oh, no, I can't touch it. I don't want to look at the mixer. I'm scared of it. And it's like the same thing. It's like, yeah, the mixer is allowing you to do all these things, but if you are going to have something that you're intimidated by, you might as well not have it because it's going to bite you and you either get to know it and you understand it and you take that leap to know what you have and to use it properly. If not, you probably don't need it. Like 10 years ago, I did a survey of my followers online or whatever saying, what would, to you, what would be the perfect mixer? What would it have? And what would you pay for it? And, you know, of course, the what would you pay for it was usually much too low, right? So, because yeah. I was literally doing a little market research. Could I go out to a company and have the ultimate voiceover production mixer made. You and I have thought like, the same thing. Yeah, you know, and and the bottom line was it was always going to be much too expensive. That the it's going to be it's going to end up being a thousand dollars, and everyone yeah, wants to pay exactly. three hundred bucks for it. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. The Rodecaster Pro gets pretty damn close. It's pretty close. It's just that an actor doesn't need four mic preamps, right? So it it just and, has and, things and, that and an they don't need doesn't buttons need. to go brumch. Right, an actor doesn't need playback buttons, right? So if you take out three or two preamps, maybe have it two, have it two. Mm-hmm. Take yeah, one out for the, the control room and one for, or one, one for your booth, one for your talkback outside your booth, yeah. maybe. And, and and take out all the playback features. I still like the internal recording, so I'd like to keep that. Yep. But um, it's great for Bluetooth stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and, and knock it down to a smaller size, sell it for $399 or $240, I don't know. How cheap can you get it? That to me is extremely compelling. So if you're listening, Road, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. hope that's what you're building in your Skunk Works labs right now. <laughs> well, they're not building anything killer. though, George. Apparently, because they can't talk about that's right. it. No, yes, no, that's nothing right. is being built whatsoever. Yeah. Don't yeah. expect yeah. anything to come from them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's your. Oh my God! I set up so many studios around Mackie mixers. I mean, that was just the absolute that was norm. Like the Mackie you know, mixer. It had little whiteout the, the, marks all over the thing. You know, yeah, these knobs yeah. go Mackie. here. And, the um the universal audio twin is the new Mackie twelve oh two. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. In in, in and a it's virtual the exact same thing. It's like I right. have it, it does everything I want. I'm completely scared of it and I don't know what I actually have. Yeah. And it's totally and it's so true. frustrating. I, I just set up one today right before the session. You know what we did? We set up three presets. What did they do? And, they set the gain at three different levels. That was it. I said I set up one for spoken. I set up one for one for her audiobook performance, and I set up one for video games. And I said these are optimal gain settings that will help you make it easier to have repeatable settings. And to me, that's that is a big advantage. I love that the actor can have a repeatable gain setting every time. It's always exactly the same. I I think that you have taken your setup and abusing the the channel to channel one input to actually be aux send one 
I think the guys at, at uh, Universal Audio are like, even they're like, what the fuck? I didn't even think you could do this with our product. Mm-hmm. They didn't. I don't remember they, where I heard that, Robert. I mean, because years ago, I was trying to figure out how to hack that. Um, and who gave I, you that some, idea? To and do I don't that? remember if it was another engineer that thought of it, but I found that online and I was like, oh my God, this is people. Brilliant. People would do that to turn, to make a talk back prior to them having a talk back built into it. Right. That's how they it, would it, do it. It shows the ridiculous flexibility that you do get with the Apollo. And it's so complex yeah. that if it most just had the other half of the, Nexus, if it just had the, the, Descend part of Nexus. And you know another hack they do with the Apollo to turn it into a true audio mixer? If you What's want to that? make an Apollo into a standard run-of-the-mill mixer, you change channel one and two input to monitor left and right. And then now what it's doing is everything that you hear, it records. So now it's just like a live band recording mixer. So it, right. it takes away all the confusion of aux ends and all this stuff. And basically what you hear is what's recorded. So you, you take channel one and two input and you make it the monitor output. And so now everything that you put into the mixer is just stereo out record. Yeah. yeah. It just records a stereo <laughs> mix of the mixer. The thing is it, like a spaghetti I, router. You can do anything you want. Yeah, but it works. It works. It turns it into a mixer. It just it just becomes like oh, it works the way it works the way like someone that doesn't understand mixers that much, but it turns it into a broadcast mixer. Is what it, it turns does. it into like, right. Yeah. If I turn up my first channel, I'm going to get louder in my headphones, but the recording will also get louder. You know what I mean? Because right. what blows people's minds about mixers that they don't understand is the digital mixers can be set up in pre and post fader mode. So when you turn up and down the mic in your headphones, it doesn't affect the recording level. And that is like, that well, just if, makes if people's head explode. you're doing it from the aux end, one thing that, that's kind of funny about the Apollo, I think, that makes it hard is that its matrix is not a good matrix. When you are changing monitor output to be input one and two, it's that, that window, that setup window is so shitty, I think. It's it's not clear what's going on in there. You know what I mean? It's like learning a language. Right? It's like, I don't like the language particularly, but I had to learn how to speak it. And then I figured it out and now I get it. But if you told me to do the same exact thing on an RME total mix, I'd be banging my head against the wall. But but right? have you ever used the, the like, I, I think you would love, like get like a Motu 828ES or something. You can turn that thing into all kinds of knots, and it's great. yeah. I, I, I have very little experience with the Motu stuff, but their stuff is known to be super reliable, and you know, I've and, and I've flexible. got the D one twelve, which is like one rack space with like one hundred and twelve channels of digital routing Maddie and or something. It's got Maddie ADAT and optical, and yeah. um, and then it's got the whole low latency mixer. But when you get into your routing ins and outs, it just does it in the classic like. Um, like matrix, like a like a, a graph paper inputs on one leg, yeah. outputs on the other leg, follow one to the other, and like cross the lines, and there you go. You know what else does that? Behringer's digital mixers, which I have set up for VOBS. We used to use one, and you would never believe that a three hundred dollar mixer. It's called the XR twelve. You would never believe that this thing could do what with, it does with Wi Fi. Yeah, it it has Wi-Fi. You can control it from an iPad or an iPhone or a desktop. 
It's got a matrix Behringer, inside, just Behringer like that. It's always got, ridiculously feature filled for what you it's think. insane what this thing can do. It's got it's got auxins. It's got a, effects two main stereo reverb effects buses. It's got you know compression EQ and everything on every channel. Three hundred bucks and. It's mind-boggling, and if you get the better ones, they also have a USB interface, so you get a and they have a recorder, eighteen-channel. Yeah, you have like an eighteen-channel USB interface. It's just, but you have to learn how to use it. I mean, it's 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 complicated as the rest of them, but the cool thing is, if you learn the three hundred dollar one, you can go and operate the big boy, the three thousand well, dollar. It's one, it's like any it's of the them. Same. If you if you understand your Apollo twin, you're going to be able to work with like an Apollo sixteen. If you understand not the Motu yeah. M2, but if you get like a Motu, say, uh, travel light one, it's going to have the same matrix. You're, you're going to understand the Motu way of doing things. If I, I guess RME is the same way. Every company has their basic way of doing things, and it all boils down to the same stuff, but it's how the GUI is presented. And I think, honestly, I think... Motu does uh, it best, huh? Mo, I think Motu does it best. I think uh, UA does it worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but UA has got the best looking mixer. It looks like brushed metal and all that crap. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Like once you're out of the setup and you're just into the mixer itself, UA has got a pretty nice feeling mixer. Robo, when's the last time you used a physical analog mixer in your production? <sighs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, easily 15 years ago. Easily 15 years right. ago, working at freelancing at Foxtel, which is uh, a satellite TV set up over here. They had, uh, or actually they still have, um, 24-track icon consoles. Um, but that was, even that though, that was 10 years ago and that would be the last mixer I used probably. Physical, physical, yeah, like physical hands-on faders you know, console. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I have a Faderport Pro here that I use really just for ducking music and, and stuff like that, but I haven't yeah. used a mix. See, ever. I, on the other hand, installed a bearing or a uh, Amic big into my studio just recently. <laughs> but that was a, that was a $50,000 mixer that I just bought for 2000 or $3,000. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. How many channels is it? Is this a large format? Well, I, I bought a, I bought a 44, but I, I um, took out, the, the right side channel. So I just have 28 loaded because I have the workstation, the computer sitting in the other side of it. So it's... Oh, okay. So half of it's like a desk for your gear. And yeah. And the rest of it's the faders. You, you may have uh, you may have saved $48,000 on the purchase price, but you probably spent that in uh, your electricity. electricity bills yeah. in the first well, couple of beyond months. Beyond that, in the stupid-ass cabling, I literally had to spend $2,000 in... Cable. Wiring harnesses. It's got it's got <laughs> three hundred patch points in it to go to my patch bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! Does it use those giant EDAC uh, multi pins no, no, on the it, back? It's, it's, it's no. This one's all separate quarter inch and XLR, and then I have it going oh to three god. pin EDAC on my TT patch bays. <laughs> when I set up my first home studio in two thousand and one, I spent. Four and a half grand getting a guy, a great guy, a guy called Terry Fogg. G'day, Foggy, if you're listening. Um, he came out, he's a wiring guy. He came over and wired up my studio. I had an O2R going into Pro Tools mm-hmm. and I oh, had yeah. all that shit. Some I, people still use those. They yeah. love those things. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I didn't. And the point I was going to make was these days, thanks to 
AP, I have a big knob. <laughs> and um, You're so jealous of mine. Mate. Yes, I'm so jealous of his that AP gave me one. Um, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. They, they, and he was very, yes. and he was very they gentle. They put any dim on it and they... <laughs> They put no dim on it and they put no slate output on the talk back and they screwed up the product. Yeah. Well, there's a dim on this one. There's a dim on the one AP sent me. Yeah, it's the new one, I think. Oh, yeah. the new one. Maybe the new okay. one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, the point I was going to make was these days you, you could pretty much pack up my studio besides the, the monitors and screens in a box. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. The whole yeah. thing's on a laptop yeah. now. I mean, God, you should have seen what I was driving around in college. My college setup which I started in high school, was, first of all, I had a Tascam 688, which is a cassette yes. track Is that the... Oh, that's a cassette track Yeah, yeah, cassette, yeah. Uh-huh. Cassette A-track with an with a inline 10-channel mixer. So it was really a 20-channel mixer built into it. And it had like a little... Yeah. Actually, had a little digital matrix that you could do your busing from. Mm-hmm. That's pretty and cool. Then, and then I set this up. I bolted it. Literally, I took the feed off and I bolted it to this table. It was about the size of a door. And then I built two racks on either side of it with a rack hovering over it. So I had two 10-space racks and then a little four-space rack above it. And on the left side of the 10-space rack, I had a TT patch bay. Um, I got a spec 16-channel three-band EQ, which I just permanently jammed into every insert of this thing. So I had real EQ across uh-huh. the board. A bunch of like Alesis 3630 compressors, my... Um, Lexicon LXP ones and fives. This was a whole eight track studio. It weighed four hundred pounds. So, in my station wagon, I built a like a piece of plywood with with casters on it facing up, so you could roll it into the back of the station wagon like it was a hearse. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I would drive up to a band's house and we'd haul this thing inside and plug everything in and bam, recording studio. And my whole idea was when I was sitting with my friend in high school, I just drew on a napkin. I had this whole studio set up, everything, and I just had one one cable coming off of it with one plug. Because what I got sick of was every time I'd go to a band's place to go record them, it would take me three hours of like setting up everything, you know? <laughs> That's so funny that you did that. Because I, I had a Soundcraft... Spirit 24, which was like their cheap ghost console. Yeah. And I remember and a 1973 the Eldorado camper, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the funky aluminum yeah, siding. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Tascam D88s and, you know, a bunch of insert effects and patch bays. But it was all in an RV. And I had this 24 channel ISO snake thing I could pull into the you venue. Whip and it out to the, uh, the, the band. Yeah. yeah. That was how yeah. I started my studio business. But I, I, I was doing something similar. In college, my friend had a 24-channel Tascam board and an 8-track half-inch reel-to-reel. I and now I have, a, I have bring, a Tascam 38. Yes, and I would yep. bring it into venues and try to record bands live to half-inch reel-to-reel. Sure. <laughs> so, so the it was cave, right, 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 you, you get bills for the cave recording, right? Yeah. So before I built that table, that, that whole recording desk, my studio was in this basement studio in Muncie, Indiana. And the way they built the basements was when you looked at the inside of the basement, it just looked like rocks, like different size rocks just piled on top of each other. It was like an old 1920s house or something. So my studio's down there and we had gotten every, ma- we would go to carpet stores. And uh, actually we should do this for our uh, 
sound absorption, we would just go to the back of the carpet carpet store and get all Take their all remnants. The remnants. <laughs> yeah, and we would we would just yeah. in burlap and stuff it in the ceiling and tack it all up, deaden that whole basement. And that's where the cave came from. That's the name of the cave because it's oh, cave uh-huh. studios. And I was recording bands for 10 bucks an hour. And, yep. you know, I, I got some recordings off that eight track, which is a wonder of science that some people thought came off a two inch deck. I would ba- basically I'd mic up the drums, send it all down to eight tracks, then mix it, and then just change all the busing down to two tracks. And then bam, record drums down to stereo. So first pass is like drums to stereo, bass, guitar, scratch, vocals. Right. And then eventually I got um, my Mac 2FX with an audio media card in it that could do four wow. tracks of audio. Yeah. <laughs> so I would then get a stripe of track of time code and I would dump seven tracks mixed down to two tracks on the computer, grab a new cassette, stripe that with time code, and now I'm playing seven more tracks along with the computer with I had my other seven tracks bounced down to two. If I ever wanted to change my original two tracks, I'd just go get the other cassette, redo my mix. <laughs> I love it. Like, you know, laborious. kids these days, <laughs> yeah, they, they have they thousand have, tracks and they don't know what the fuck all to of do that, with them all. Yeah. All of that <laughs> exactly. is in my laptop from 10 years ago. Yeah. Like all that and more totally. is in my yeah, yeah. single USB yeah. cable, eight channels of mics. And well, do you, want some, do you want some sad news? Sure. Let's end. Let's okay. end on a sad note. Let's end on a sad <laughs> note. As you know, I I bought um, an interface, the SSL two, and with that with that purchase, uh, they gave away free of charge, mind you, a bunch of plugins. There was the native channel strip, the flex verb vocal strip, uh, the X compressor EQ two phase V six saturator version six, and valve compressor version six. Mm-hmm. And they've all expired. Oh no! It was a it oh. was a it was a freemium thing, and they yes. gave it to you, let you play with it, and then they all expire. Yep. Oh, oh, dirty rats. Mm-hmm. Well, I I get so pissed off when you install a UA interface, and it installs every freaking plugin known to yeah. man that they have, and they're all yeah. demos. And then you have to watch yeah. your workstation rip through them and go like, "I'm never going to use yeah. any of these." Mm-hmm. No, it, 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 yeah. it, 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 it's yeah. I hate that too very much. Well, I hate that an update is three three gigabytes because you have to download every bloody plugin. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's complete opposite to what Rode do with their um, Rodecaster. It is where they give you free stuff and you keep it, and these guys tease you with free stuff and then take it away. Yeah, no. I mean, Rode Rode is a <laughs> every company should do what Rode does. I mean, yeah, they they they, they just. Uh, they take a product that's already affordable to begin with and then layer on new features and not ruin the original product. Yep. That is not easy to do. I can tell you from a guy who runs a company and has to use a lot of software to run my business on the web, companies cannot figure out how to do that. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Is it over? The Pro Audio Suite recorded using Rode NTG5s and Source Connect, edited by Andrew Peters and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging with tech support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say good day, drop us a note at our website, theproaudiosuite.com.